Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Sharon Sumler. She's an athletic counselor at The Ohio State University. Sharon helps Ohio State student-athletes in a number of different ways, including individual and group therapy, as well as team presentations on topics related to mental health and wellness. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for that intro. Well, Sharon, now there are a couple of things that intrigue me about you and your experience. Now, number one, you're a former Division II basketball player at St. Edwards University. And not only do you work with student athletes individually now, but you also work in group or team settings as well. And I want to get into all of that. But first, my first question for you is what led you down this path to becoming an athletic counselor? Yeah, so the, the term athletic counseling is relatively new. It was not being used a lot in my, my undergraduate studies. I originally started playing basketball uh, by means of being a military kid and needing to connect with new cultures, new communities, new schools. And so I just played sports every time I moved and joined teams. And it was a very pro-social activity for me. And then after I realized I was getting good at it and playing at the collegiate level, I noticed um, some struggles that my teammates had and not really having the resources to navigate those problems during their experience on campus. And um, some some different paths took me. I worked at some nonprofits. I worked with adolescents in juvenile detention centers. And it was really that light bulb moment that I had at a juvenile detention center doing counseling with adolescents who had been incarcerated. Um, and I was having a really hard time connecting with them. And so I started using sports as a way to kind of disarm their fear and, and increase their uh, willingness to share more about their experiences and have found that to be really helpful and knew I always wanted to get back to the collegiate level. And so it kind of blended my experience in, you know, working with children and families with 
now working with student athletes here at Ohio State. So you know, I know uh, the head football coach down there, Ryan Day, and men's basketball coach, Chris Holtman. I know that they're just a couple of the people who've been speaking up about the importance of mental wellness. And the, the department that you're in is relatively new. Can you talk a little bit about how you landed at Ohio State and how this department came together? Sure. So historically, the sports psychology services here at Ohio State had been offered through the Western Medical Center. And so the, our lead sports psychologist uh, who's with us now was providing services. It kind of looked more like a he was a contractor almost, more so had that feel. And then as this athletic counseling and increased awareness around the struggles of um, athletes and their mental health started to become more prevalent and more um, public, uh, they decided to expand the team. And I jumped at the opportunity to, to be a part of a team. I didn't want to you know, do this work solo. I, you know, being a student athlete myself, I enjoy working on teams and uh, joined back in 2019. So this will be my second year on staff here. And so we're really trying to uh, increase visibility. You know, we, we're not just, you know, counselors sitting behind a desk in our offices and uh, over in the hospital. We are very much at practices, at games, walking around and trying to destigmatize mental health and, and increase access. Well, and I think that's the difference. You know, it's it's like you're making house calls in a sense, you, <laughs> right. you know, but but I think it speaks to the importance of this. And, you know, and it's one of the, the reasons why I'm doing this podcast to help bring awareness, you know, not only, you know, about the, the mental health side of the game, the, you know, the psychology that's involved, but also, of course, how it, you know, helps create that good team culture that we're all looking for, you know, as parents, as players, as coaches, you know, just trying to help everybody out, you know, you mentioned you you recognize some of the struggles your teammates were have, having back in your playing days. You know, without naming names, like what were some of the things you were seeing that stood out to you? Yeah. So I had a couple of teammates who would stay after practice to burn more calories and were, were hyper conscious of their body image and, and caloric intake. Um, to a point that I, you know, now that I am licensed and trained to see that would look back and say they could have certainly used some additional support around their, their disordered eating behaviors. Um, I think back to another teammate who, who ended up having to, to leave the university, um, who struggled with their, uh, identity, uh, their gender identity. And so kind of the, the, the telltale signs of, you know, they didn't, uh, necessarily feel connected to the team. They had some hygiene concerns. And at the time, it seemed like, oh, that's, you know, that person's like struggling or that person's kind of an, an outcast. And now looking back, I recognize that that person was, was really needing some support during that time. And so it's, it's those memories that I, I that really led me to doing what I do now. And so, you know, you know, looking back on that and then, you know, and now doing what you do now, do you see or, you know, are, are people starting to understand that when there is a mental health issue with a player that it does impact what happens on the floor or on, or on the field, that there is a direct connection between mental health and then the, the physical play and how well somebody can perform? Yes, I would say I've been so impressed by uh, the level of readiness and willingness that our coaches have been at Ohio State. When I was, you know, in my clinical training, I thought I was going to have to, you know, knock doors down explaining how important this stuff was to our student athletes, but it's uh, it's been the reverse. 
Uh, they've been looking for support, looking for resources, because they do understand that what what our student athletes are going through off the court and off the field have a direct impact to their success and their ability to, to stay with us and, and graduate. Do you think that, you know, this is, you're working on the collegiate level, but I feel like this could probably extend down to the high school level. What do you think? Absolutely. I think, you know, when I think about where this field is going, it is going to extend into the K through 12, really, because as I mentioned, working with incarcerated youth, I would play basketball with them. And some of those guys, I mean, could have had a scholarship um, where, you know, but their life circumstances kind of kept them from that path. But they were just, you know, one decision away from a very different life. And so I, I do think there's an ability to be more preventative and in, in starting with our, our youth. Well, and I too, you know, I think then, you know, if we do have to extend this down to the high school level, the burden obviously falls then on the coaches. And you mentioned you you work with the coaches at Ohio State. Do you work with the coaches on the same level sometimes as you do with the players as far as coaching them up on mental health and the importance of it or even helping with, with their own mental health? Yeah, we do a lot of uh, consulting with our coaches and we provide workshops and education on how they can be mindful of their own experiences and how that can have an impact on our student athletes. Uh, we will get them connected. You know, we, we provide resources in the community if they are seeking, you know, their own mental health. But we do not currently provide mental health services to our coaches. But I would say we do about everything else that we can to help other than than that piece, which is the education, the consulting on a case by case, you know, if they're, if they're worried about a student athlete, I'll get a call and kind of coach them through how to approach it. If they're starting to see some concerning behaviors. See, that's impressive because you know, that that's one of the, one of the things I think that will, I think coaches on the high school level might struggle with was recognizing the fact that, that there's something there or something might be off with one of their players. And to me, it could be as simple as, you know, okay, the kid doesn't feel comfortable coming, talking to the coach, but then what do you think? Do you think the onus is on the coach to reach out to those players? You know, I, I think the onus is in on the coaches is to build a culture where athletes can reach out to them and being emotionally for coaches to be emotionally available enough to, to say, Hey, I'm struggling. And for the coach to know the resources in the community. I think that would be my ideal scenario for, for high school coaches is at least just know where to get kids plugged in. They don't have to do the work themselves, but creating a safe enough environment that kids will say, I need help, and then helping them get connected. Yeah, and, you know, we're not talking about, like, kids being soft, right? We're not talking about athletes who are soft. This is this is uh, a little bit bigger than, than that. This is the, maybe they just don't have the confidence, you know, to, to, to play the way they normally play, you know, or, you know, they, they, they get so far, like, you know, they make it to college, you know, they can play, right? But maybe all of a sudden something is, sh- you know, just has shaken their confidence or maybe there's, you know, there's something going on off the floor that, that is, is just taking their mind off of their ability to to perform, you know, at the level that everybody knows they can perform at. So it could be a multitude of things, right, that we're talking about here that could be affecting the player that the coach would have to pick up on. Absolutely. From anything from family things happening at home to relationships to bullying and, and then getting into more, of course, of course severe cases of 
anxiety and depression, but it, it could be anything. And, and now, right now with COVID, I think it's going to be important for us to, to keep that in mind as well as we, you know, kind of get back to, to all playing together, uh, if you will. So did, did you find Ohio State or did Ohio State find you? <laughs> I found Ohio State. I am a part of a clinic, uh, a clinicians group that discusses, uh, you know, job postings and uh, trends and uh, education resources. And, and I got connected that way. Well, I know Wisconsin because we had we had their psychologist on the podcast, Dr. Chris Iring. She, you know, and so I know at Wisconsin, you know, they're they're doing a lot of things. Are there other Big Ten schools doing something similar to what uh, uh, Wisconsin and Ohio State are doing? Absolutely. There's a Big Ten mental health cabinet that all of the Big Ten schools have a representative on. So we can keep abreast of, you know, national changes, um, changes that impact our conference and our student athletes and and collaborate really because it does take a village and I think it's really fun you know to, to sit with some of the Michigan staff and and be able to connect you know outside of that rivalry connect with them on the needs of our student athletes but again like this is something that I don't know I mean even I'd say I and correct me if I'm wrong I'd say even five or ten years ago we really did not hear anybody talking about the mental health side of the game and for me and for the podcast purposes like I just feel and like you mentioned it you need that safe environment for people to talk about these things but I would say literally like I mean I would say as little as five or ten years ago we didn't hear anything about this yeah I think you're right I I think you're absolutely right and I give credit for uh, to a lot of people but I think some of the professional athletes being willing to to be courageous enough and vulnerable enough to take that stand publicly really helps uh, change change the narrative there. Well, and I know one of those professional athletes is uh, Kevin Love, and you got the chance to actually talk to Kevin about some of these issues. Tell me a little bit about that conversation. I did. That was that was an incredible experience. You know, having been a, a NBA fan and former college athlete, uh, I was honored to be able to speak with him about his uh, his experiences and some of the work that he's currently doing to raise awareness. And so uh, I think that was last summer, right around this COVID time that I got a chance to interview him um, and speaking about his, his battles with anxiety and depression. What'd you learn from him? I think I was most impressed by his candor and his courage. I think even in, you know, in that time we were just starting COVID, he was so approachable and had such a grounded sense of self. Um, that, that that part, I think, really impressed me. I took that away, and I think about that often. Yeah, and the thing that amazes me, I mean, we're talking about elite athletes here having these struggles. And so, you know, once again, this isn't about being the best player on the team and and being soft because you want to talk about your feelings. These are really hardcore issues that – humans right we're all human you know that people are dealing with is that a, is that a fair way to kind of assess this that is that is and you really can't separate the mind and the body and i think we historically have tried to do that but most mental health disorders have some physiological symptoms and if you know if you are having increased heart rate or insomnia or struggles with your appetite that's directly going to impact your performance what about when Maybe the coach, okay, he doesn't realize or she doesn't realize what kind of effect they can have on their players with 
by their actions or their words. Like whether it's not making eye contact with a player who, you know, who, okay, maybe they're not the best player on the team, but, you know, just those signals that the coaches send that can just destroy somebody's confidence. I mean, is, is, is there something like, are there things coaches should be looking for from their players, whether it's at practice or or during games and, 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 and trying to pick up on, do you have like a bullet point list for coaches to maybe to things to look for that something may be off with one of their players? Yeah, I, I think the first part of that, what comes to mind there is, encouraging coaches to be uh, self-aware of their own responses. And I think, you know, sports can get really um, chaotic and exciting and fun. And sometimes we get lost in the moment and behave and act in ways that might be out of character. So I think it's important for coaches to kind of start there with figuring out ways to regulate their own emotions and, and have a healthy outlet for what's, what's happening in intense situations. Um, but for, beyond that, I think it, it's knowing your, your players. There's not, you know, one, one symptom or sign that's going to be the case for everybody. So I think it's ensuring that someone on your staff has a relationship with every player on that team so that those players can reach out if they needed the support. How do you feel the culture was for you at St. Edwards University? Do you feel like it was a really strong, a, a good culture, a winning culture, both on and off the floor? How do you, how, what, what are your takeaways? I do. Reflecting back on my experience, I, it was incredibly positive. Um, I grew and was challenged a lot. Um, and I think that, you know, being at a Division II school, they, we did not have, you know, a sports psych or uh, embedded athletic counseling department. And that was a, about a decade ago at this point. But um, I had an incredible experience. And a lot of that, I will say, the culture building fell on my assistant coach. And, and I think sometimes with, with smaller schools, that can be what happens is that you know, the coaching staff, as you talked about earlier, can take the onus of, of doing some of this work. So what were some of the things that when you look back on it, what were some of those things that really helped create that, that really good culture for you when you were in college? Yeah, I think, I think it was the work off the field. We did, we had a lot of experiences and um, even just like in the summer times going as a team to different camps and team building opportunities. I think our coaches built in time to check in with us one-on-one. That was really helpful. Uh, sometimes I think students have a hesitancy to ask for help because they're worried that they are going to bother someone or be a burden. But if you create natural spaces, you know, just, hey, you know, every Thursday you're going to, you know, walk around the field with coach so-and-so, by creating those spaces naturally, if and when someone needs help, they'll already have you know, the place to do that. So I think that's kind of the prevention side of things is not just waiting until something's wrong, but getting to know each player so that you can see when something starts to change. Do you feel like these, the off the court or off the field, even in the off season um, types of activities, whether it's going to a camp or, or, you know, just getting the team together. Do you think now nowadays, is it, is it almost imperative to do these types of activities? I think it is. Yes. I think that in order to build trust and one of my favorite quotes is in the presence of play, there's an absence of fear. So while, you know, at, at the collegiate level, you are playing a sport, but it's not, it's not play, you know, at this point where it's very serious, you know, when we show up to practice. And so building in opportunities to let your athletes play and just have, not allowed to be 
have un, unscripted and, and unfiltered play, I think is important. Well, and, you know, and there, there lies the healthy balance because I've heard from a number of coaches who've said when they first started out coaching, they were they let their egos get the best of them and they 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 micromanaged a lot of things. But they they said that as they got a little more experience under their belt and they let go of some things and did more thi- you know, did more things that were not necessarily related to basketball that's when they really started to see a difference. And I like the way you put that because it does, it, it really creates that, that balance, you know, and then when you, when you are between the lines, you're still having your fun, right? You're getting your cake and you're eating it too, right? Cause you're, you're still having your fun, but when you're there between the lines, everybody knows what their role is, what their job is and, and, and how to get the job done. Right. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm thinking back to a, uh, Speaking of play, I'm thinking back to our coach uh, having us learn how to uh, juggle, how to juggle three tennis balls. And while that's certainly like a hand-eye coordination skill, it we had it was done in a playful way. We got to play the music that we wanted to play, and and it was it was a really fun experience. And so those are some of the times that I think back on that allowed me to kind of let my guard down and connect with my teammates and my coaches. So. When when we look at, you know, you mentioned the assistant coach, you know, maybe being the driving force behind. I'm thinking about the high school level here. You know, we we do talk to, you know, we talk to a lot of high school coaches. I mean, you know, Ohio State, obviously, that's that's a different animal. But, you know, what would you what would you recommend some of the, you know, for assistant coaches just to even think about? I mean, we've heard we've heard a lot of different examples of of things to do on the podcast, but do you have any good ones, any good ideas um for, you know, for coaches to maybe use and employ these off the court team building type activities that will also, you know, help the me- the entire the mental health of your team? Yeah, and I think we have I'm thinking about the ego comment you made earlier. I, I think we have to as adults challenge ourselves sometimes to let let that ego go and i say that because you know a lot of times people say like there's no way you do coloring pages with a 20 year old football player and i said but i do and they like it and i think we have this in our head like we're trying to be cool or trying to be you know the cool coach or something but try playing try the the little things to connect with um with your athletes and so at the or at the high school level same you know you might not think that you know, your boys basketball team wants to have a dance party, but try it and see what happens. So it's, it's also about coaches being and being willing and vulnerable to try new and maybe silly things with their athletes. And when players see that coaches are willing to do that, it increases some trust there and, and allows for some more uh, relationship building, really. Have you seen in, in your, I mean, you know, in your career, have you seen the the culture or you know a change in mental health of a team translate into wins yet have you been able to to see that I mean Ohio State wins a lot so I know it's tough <laughs> but I don't know maybe you know maybe if you think you know maybe here's your high school team or maybe you know back to your college team you know but you know have you seen that happen because I've heard a lot of stories about how that has happened where once once that you know, the, the culture changes and the, the mental health of all of the players on the team changes for the good, the wins fall into place. Have you been able to see that personally? I have. I have certainly, and I feel honored to be able to say that I've been able to witness that shift. Um, and it, it's incredibly rewarding. 
And, and so like, what is it about that though? You know, because here we are like living, you know, we're, we're living in an age of the NBA where it's, it's all about building a super team and getting the best players. And I remember, you know, going up to the playground and you'd have those guys who would just hang around waiting for everybody to lose. And then they would pluck their boys, you know, because they know he's good. He's tall. He can shoot. And they, you know, and they're, they're for you know, they're, they're forming super teams on the playground. Right. But, but anybody can do that. And I think what, what, what's important for coaches to understand, especially, you know, down on the youth level and then into high school is to me, it would be more gratifying to take a team that that's not full of the best players, but create a culture where everybody's comfortable. Everybody just accelerates and plays at their best and maybe, maybe takes their play to another level. And then you get the wins. Like, do you think we have enough coaches? Because I honestly don't. I got to tell you, I just don't think we have enough coaches who are coaching, you know, our future star athletes. You know, now, like I said, you know, whether it's grade school or high school, I don't know if we have enough of them who look at it that way, where we don't need to put together a super team and, you know, and put our coaching on easy street. If you're going to coach, a, you know, a team and get it all together and, and, and get all of these facets together, the mental health, the, the physical play, taking the athletic ability, getting the most out of the, athletic, I'm sorry, the, the most of the, uh, out of the athletic ability of your team. If you're going to do that, it's going to take some work on a lot of different, uh, on, on, on both ends, the mental health and the physical part of it. What do you think? Yeah, I, the the visualization that's coming to mind for, for me right now is a, a match. And if we can look at matchstick, I would want to see every athlete on a team feel like they had a, the tools to spark energy and, and change. And, I, you know, you watch a basketball game and you can see when the energy shifts. Like you have that player that comes in that can just get it going. I would want every athlete to feel like they knew what their strength was that could get it going. And if everyone on that team knows what their role is and what they contribute, I think that's when you start to see that, that kind of dance of, of synchronicity and everything coming together naturally. But if everyone comes to the team and they're the best at what they do and there's three people that are the best, you're going to get these ego power struggles. But if we get people to be aware of their other strengths and maybe they are the best shooter, but we also need you to, you know, recognize your other strengths and maybe it is bringing the energy or uh, making sure you get rebounds, giving them something other than that one thing. Cause we know that if scoring is going to be game by game. So if, if scoring is not going well, what's the next thing you can do to get it going? That uh, You sound just like me because I, I could not agree with that more. And to, to be able to, to look down your bench and literally from one through 12 and just have the confidence to put any one of your players in at any given moment and to know that each of them is ready no matter what the situation, I mean, that's going to start with the coach, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in, in, in that, it means that the coach is trusting of their players to do the jobs that they've helped them build and, and build the foundation of so that once we get to the game, hopefully there's decreased frustration even by the coach because they're putting in people who they feel like are going to 
both do, you know, the, the big stuff, the scoring, the playing defense, but also the little things. And every every athlete needs to know both what their big thing and little things are. Yeah, and, I, you know, I totally agree. And we talk a lot, you know, and then that comes down to communication, right? I mean, the coach has to communicate with the players. And, again, some of that can happen off the court. Some of, you know, a lot of it happens at practice. You know, a lot of it happens after games and, and just learning and growing. But it really starts with communication, right? It does. It does. And a term from organizational psychology, role ambiguity, when we, we know that when employees don't know their roles or aren't sure of what their purposes are in the organization, there's increased turnover and dissatisfaction. And I think it's the same on teams, but sometimes uh, coaches maybe either aren't clear in what they're expecting of the athletes and each athlete, and not just the team, but the expectations of each individual person. And so being transparent with that and that communication goes a long way so that you don't have to keep doing it every game, kind of building it off, you know, in practices and off the court. Yeah, one of the other things you mentioned that that I I agree with is you know you 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 mentioned it, you, you talked about coaching up players' strengths right and you know we know you're a good three point shooter but then you know what other things can you contribute when if your three point if your your three pointers aren't falling there's got to be other ways to you know to to stay involved to get on the floor to to help the team and. To me, I, I, I what honestly what what led me to this podcast. There are a few things, but I started looking at positive psychology. I hadn't really heard about it before, and I was read, reading up on positive psychology. And to me, it sounds like you're describing positive psychology. How often do you employ positive psychology in the work that you do? Am I am I reading positive psychology the right way? Can we talk a little bit about positive psychology, your thoughts and, and how coaches can use it? Absolutely. And I, I mean, positive psychology, I also believe a growth mindset, those kinds of things kind of go hand in hand. And so it's not, you know, when people hear positive psychology, it's not just like wake up and be happy every day. It's wake up and identify what are the things you want to contribute to the day and gain from the day. And that level of uh, intent allows people to feel more like they're in the driver's seat of their lives or of their games. And so what I'll tell athletes to do kind of in practices leading up to games is, you know, after every practice, write down three things that went well, especially if they're you know in a slump. I'll still say write down three things that went well and one thing you want to work on tomorrow. And just getting in the habit of knowing that there was something positive that happened at practice. It might not have been your best practice, but something you did, whether it was, you know, hype up a teammate or you were there to support your coaches with carrying water or something like, but there was something that was a strength from the day. And we we have to be able to sit and reflect on that. And when we talk about positive psychology, though, it's it's slightly different than because I think everybody's used to hearing sports psychology. That's what it was. Sports. I know I'm a sports psychologist, sports psychologist, you know, and you hear about, you know, somebody's in a slump. So they're going to talk to the sports psychologist. Somebody <laughs> can't hit a free throw. So they're going to talk to the sports psychologist. This and, and I and correct me if I'm wrong. And the work that you're doing, I think, is slightly different. I think there's a little more to it. Am I right? Absolutely. And I mentioned slump, but for the most part, I'm, I'm telling every athlete to do this activity because it's not just when things are going wrong that we need to work on it. We have to build these school, these skills, even when things are going well, so that we have them when things start to go wrong. Well, and you know, one of the other things, like, like I mentioned off the top that interests me is normally like you're, you're, when we talk about these kind of things, it's an, you know, an individual athlete, but you work together with teams on some of this stuff can is it a different approach when you're working with an entire team 
compared to when you're working with an individual athlete when it comes to mental health and 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 psychology and and mindset maybe just a little bit different in my approach um because i know that if i'm speaking to one person i'm getting to know them i'm able to read their body language and and really be in tune with them and and can deliver you know the skills and the the messages that i need to but when i'm talking to a larger team you know it's a little bit harder to stay in tune with everyone but I have to make sure that the message is broad enough that it reaches everyone. And that's that's the part that I think coaches can benefit from, too, is, you know, not being so stuck in the way that I speak or the way that I communicate, but recognizing that my communication uh, delivery is only as good as, as the person is able to receive it. And so I need to be able to message things that everyone can hear it and take something away from it. Well, and you know, and it's funny you brought that because that's the reason I was asking because I'm thinking about a coach, right? You know, and especially on on the high school level, you know, who has to kind of do it on his own, right? And or her or her own, and they're in that. You're essentially they're in that team setting, like where where you as a professional, you know how to handle this situation, you know. And here we are with coaches, and if we're you know, and, and if we're trying to coach coaches up on this podcast and try to give them some ideas or give them a, you know, uh, at least, you know, uh, try to plow a pathway for him uh, to, to start developing a better culture. Like what could, like, if there is a coach out there who's hearing this and decides, you know what, I, I, I'm going to start, I'm going to try some of this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to change it up this year. I want to try to build a better culture. Maybe they recognize that maybe the culture is not where it could be, you know, where would you recommend a coach start if they wanted to go down that road of starting to shift that culture? So I think I'll share, you know, my clinical approach. And I, I found this to be helpful for coaches. And in my work, working with children and families and particularly incarcerated youth, uh, trauma-informed care has become kind of a buzzword um, in a field. And so trauma-informed care is in, in short, providing a space that's safe for that people who may be having a difficult time can reach out for help. And then the folks who aren't are still going to benefit from a, a culture that is one of safety and collaboration. And so the, the five kind of keys of trauma-informed care, and I've, I've even done a, a seminar on trauma-informed coaching, and these are the five. is safety, choice, collaboration, trustworthiness, and empowerment. And so if you can try to work on those individual pieces, like building safety, so what can I do? And it's it's kind of changing the lens. Is there anything that I'm doing or anything about even the physical facility that might be um, off-putting for a a young person who maybe had a difficult experience or background? So it's, it's being willing to assess the things that we're doing and recognizing that we might be doing or saying things that could trigger a young person. And so taking stock of that stuff. And so part of that too, I mentioned trustworthiness, being willing to share power and not being so authoritative in our approach, but saying, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to build this skill with you. It seems like you're having a little bit of trouble. Talk to me about what, you know, what challenges you're having. So it's opening it up for dialogue instead of just in control. So are we now shifting to an age where gone are the days. I'm the coach. You're the player. I tell you what to do. This is how you do it. It's my I, way I or the highway. Are, are, are we, we, are. we getting away from every, that? <laughs> every new uh, generation or incoming class I meet is um, I'm impressed by their ability to advocate for what they want and what they need. I think that's certainly increased. And then 
uh, yeah, that these new generations have some some higher expectations of the ways and spaces that they're in and the cultures that they're a part of, which is incredibly impressive. But it, it does require a shift for the people who've been been doing this for a while. Do you think it's whether it's social media? What do you think has has is the driving force behind this shift with with the young players? Like you said, because that's interesting that you say that, that every new class that you meet, they seem to get a little bit stronger. What do you think is accounting for this? So, I mean, I think, I think it's working. When we, when we talk about globally about decreasing stigma around mental health, I think what we're seeing is that it's working. And so we know that pretty much every incoming class, like a general college student age class, student body, um, the rates of them having had a counseling experience are increasing every year. And so more and more K through 12 students are getting counseling support or whether that's, you know, in the community or at their school. So they're, they're already doing some of this work before they even get to us. And so I think it is helping that it seems like communities and families and, and students are decreasing the, the stigma around mental health and getting access. And so I think we have to, to be, um, responsive to their needs and to that shift well yeah and you know and again it's it's on the coaches to recognize this right and accept it and and not try to fight it i think they they (laughs) need to really uh, you know just figure out their role in all of this and how they're going to be able to get the most out of their players so I, I'm not saying it's easy, you know. I'm not, you know, this is not going to be easy for coaches as the years go go by. But I do know that there are some coaches out there who are already doing this, who already recognize this and are doing it. You know, do you do you think that's going to be? Is is it a hurdle? You know, coaches just maybe who've been around a while, just understanding like, look, this isn't going away. It's just something that you're going to have to learn to cultivate. I think it, it can be an initial hurdle. And as people, we don't like change oftentimes. We're not, you know, seeking for things to constantly change. So I think the initial recon- the recognition for a coach is to say, okay, this is happening. I, you know, I recognize I've been trying to fight it, but I need to accept it and build my toolbox to meet the needs of the, the changing, you know, students that I'm coaching. And so I, I initially think there can be this fear around shifting it or changing something. Um, but I think once you are able to address that fear and manage it, again, manage your own emotions as a coach, I think it, it becomes easier to meet the needs of the athletes. Do you think that, you know, as, um, you know, being in the army, uh, my wife, my wife was an, was an army nurse. And so I, I, I can relate a little bit to what, you know, y- your background, but I couldn't, I, I don't know how I, how I would be able to handle moving like like you and just joining sports to to meet people and and how scary that can be do you think like like when you look back on that do you ever think like how like like how many times did you have to do that and and like how i mean how vital was that to building your character i mean you know to me i would be the scariest thing in the world every time you know having to go to a new place and then you know starting all over again with a new group and playing on a new team and now you have to start from square one and and impress the coach and show the coach what you can do i mean did you go through any of that mentally when as you made these moves you know it's kind of wild to think back on because i didn't i mean i moved seven times before the age of 18 and like even saying that seems wild However, I didn't know any other way. I mean, I, I'm an only child and my extended family was, you know, halfway across the country and sometimes across the world. 
So, you know, when I was born into it and that's just what I did. And so I actually was more afraid when my dad decided to retire and we moved off base for the first time when I was in high school. And I was like, well, what do you mean we're moving off base? Like there's not going to be, you know, protection and guards at the front when I get into my community. And they're like, no, it's just, (laughs) you're just out in the world. And I thought that was actually kind of scary in the reverse. When, when you, you know, your experience, uh, I mean, I, to me, it speaks to players too, right? When, when they're going into, let's say you're moving up a level, right? You're, you're going from, from whether it's grade school to high school, high school to college, you know, and, and you have to adjust one more, you know, once again to uh, an entirely uh, new environment. Do you have any tips for players? Well, for being, you know, for when they go into those situations or just really any new situation, whether it's, you know, maybe it's maybe it's in a game. Maybe it's the first time, you know, the game's on the line and you got to hit that free throw. Right. Or you got to hit that shot. Are, are there things that you have have taken from that that you can use in your work and 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 teach players to use themselves when they're out on the floor performing? Yeah. So, and in, in thinking back, I think the, the biggest challenge I had in terms of my experience on, you know, changing teams was uh, when I moved to Texas and started playing basketball in eighth grade and had recognized that, you know, all of these kids had been playing together for years, pretty much. And I was joining, you know, this very, it was more, <laughs> it was less of a pro-social experience. It was, you know, very serious and, you know, highly competitive environment. I think that was the biggest shift I had and, and had a lot of fear around like, you know, have I, am I good enough? These people have been playing together for years. And, and I, I hear that a lot with our incoming freshmen, you know, especially because most of our incoming freshmen have been, you know, all Americans or the stars of their teams. And so they get here and join the rest of the all Americans and stars of their teams. And what I, what I try to do is normalize that change can be hard. However, there's going to be like in this change, there's going to be an incredible amount of growth and we have to recognize, and this kind of goes back to a growth mindset if we can help them understand what a growth mindset is and see challenges as ways that they're going to grow and see an opportunity to grow, I think that it helps them the rest of their, their, their time in college. But the, I always tell them the biggest kind of leveling up is that high school to college athletics transition. Cause you're, you're, you know, at this point, all of you all could do the job, you know, everyone on the team could do the job, but it's, it's a matter of who's going to be able to maintain and do that job consistently. Well, and, you know, and and the way you said it, too, as you were talking, I was thinking, like, coaches could employ that same mentality, right? If they're if they're trying to shift their culture, right? Like you said, you said it earlier, change can be hard. But but yeah, it's it's looking like it it may not be today, right? It may not be tomorrow, (laughs) but there is, you know, there's going to be that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if you stick to it and you keep cultivating that culture and and getting the most out of every player on your team the wins are going to fall into place yes and if coaches can normalize making mistakes that will decrease the fear that some athletes have when you know when they're trying new things we have to we know that trying new things there's going to be some you know bumps along the way because you're you know challenging yourself in a new way and that's part of the process if we can one, have coaches accept and normalize that and also have our athletes accept themselves and give themselves some grace when they're learning new skills or doing something new. I think that can really help in the long run. Or even as you know, simple as making the players feel comfortable, you know, that it, when they make a mistake, 
that they're not going to get pulled out right away, you know, right. like, like <laughs> just creating that, you know, you know, giving, you know, and cause the starters probably get that right. But you know, maybe not, you know, but if you're the, you know, if you're the ninth person off the bench and you go in there and you keep getting pulled by, at the first sign of, 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 uh, of a mistake, or, you know, you, you do something wrong and, and you get pulled off the floor, that is going to do nothing for that kid's confidence. No, no, it's, it's going to be, it's, I mean, that, that uh, grows into a culture of fear. And so the coach is afraid to let the athletes stay in and, and work through it. The athletes are afraid that they're going to get pulled. And, and now we're not playing basketball together. We're, you know, all afraid that we're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. It's hard to play when you're looking over your shoulder, you know? <laughs> exactly. And yeah, it, it, it really is. And, you know, and I really hope like from, from our conversation, cause I, I see it so much cl- clearer now, the, that connection between the men, you know, just the mentality, the mental health, you know, the psychology, call it what you want, and the play that happens on the floor. Like, like not every single player is is going to have that confidence, and and a lot of them, I'm not a lot of them, but like there are going to be players who need that boost, and it's going to have to come from somewhere, whether it's that coach or that assistant coach, connecting the mental with the physical. You said it. You can't do the mind, the, the mind and the body work together, and I really hope that, you know, there are coaches out there who maybe hear this, and and maybe the light goes on and says, you know what, now, you know, now I get it <laughs> because you have really helped pull it together for me. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you for giving me the opportunity to kind of share, you know, the way that I approach it and my insights on and working with young people. Is is there anything else that we didn't talk about yet that uh, we should mention? Yeah, I think the one thing I'll say, and, and, and maybe it's a something that folks can Google, the trauma-informed care pieces, those kind of five keys that I gave, but that's not just a, you know, coach to athlete part of building culture, that's a, the entire organization, whatever that is. So, you know, if it's building trust with your athletes, it's also like being kind and doing that same trust with your coaches, your your colleagues, your coworkers. And so when we when I think about culture change, it's, it's not a top-down approach, it is really, you know, the holistic system being bought into these ideas. Well, and that's the other thing that occasionally comes up on the podcast is, yes, we are, okay, we're talking about basketball generally, but this applies to all sports. And then to me, it also applies, like you just mentioned, outside of sports, you know, in businesses, you know, any, anybody. And, and like, I'll, I'll, I will promote the podcast on LinkedIn because I just feel like a lot of the things we talk about, sure, we're speaking to coaches and players, but I, we're also speaking to managers and employees as well. Absolutely. And, and so like, it's, it's just crazy how, you know, sports and life like it's just so it's so connected and i'm so glad you know my my i'll never forget when my dad signed me up for little league and then you know and my brother we all you know we played football basketball and baseball all the way through high school played baseball in college but like you know and i told my kids i said look i you know i'm not telling you you have to do sports but you're going to do something because it's like all of these things like what you know what you learn from them and what you take from them you know is really the thing you're learning the things that you're going to need to for the rest of your life. Yes. And I, and I think sometimes parents get um, swept away by the performance part of things and, I, you know, make it to the next level and get to college and maybe go pro. But there are so many opportunities and areas for growth and skills that I built 
by being an athlete on on a variety of teams, and I never had aspirations to go professional. For again, it was really a pro social activity for me, and it was incredible, incredibly transformative for me. Looking back on my sports experiences, and I wouldn't, I don't think I would be who I am today without the sports experiences and the military experience as well. Well, your parents should be proud because you have <laughs> landed at the Ohio State University. I mean, did you, was it was was there any trouble transitioning into becoming a, a Buckeye when you when you got the job? <laughs> oh, I guess I'll share a little family secret. But All right, here we go. I um my parents are originally from Detroit, and I um grew up a Michigan Wolverine fan, highly highly Michigan Wolverine fan. And my dad, when I told him that I had the interview, um, took a few seconds, I think, to to gather his response. Right. He was very proud of me, um, but was probably a little bit more hopeful that I landed with the team up north. Yeah, but it is it is fun to see though because we will see those stories too. You know, as 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 storied as the rivalry is on the field. The, we do see that a lot, though. We, we know Michigan and Ohio State working together, whether it's, you know, in, in health care or, you know, uh, in, in various, you know, different aspects off the field. And, I mean, and that's what, that, to me, that like, that's kind of where I'm at. Even with this pie, it's like, can we all just get along, <laughs> you know, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, and definitely over the last year, I think we've learned that we're, we're really all in this together, you know, rivalries or not. And there's, you know, a lot that we've had to, to come together as a community and a society. And, and I think sports has helped. And I think um, it's, it's been incredible to watch the way that sports has been a part of a lot of different movements in the past year. Well, in a general sense too, like we all want the same things, right? You know, when we're parents and our kids are playing, when we're playing, we want to play, right? You know, and, and it's like, you know, we everybody wants the same things. And I just think, you know, we're, we're fighting each other and creating, you know, these these cultures that just aren't suitable for anybody really for no reason. If we would just step back a second and, and, you know, and listen to Sharon and, and please just do what she says, you know? Like, I wish, yeah. I wish that would be the case. Yep. Like, but I mean, really like to simplify it. And well, that, that's one of the, you know, like when I, nah, that's the, this is the first time I brought, ever brought this. You see, look, you're breaking me down too. Cause this is the first time I ever brought this up on the podcast. But, but you know, I've, I've talked to, you know, to people individually and, you know, and it's just like, you know, we all want the same things. We all want the same things for ourselves. We all want the same things for our kids. Right. You know, everybody wants to be happy, healthy, you know, just, you know, and it's like, but it seems to me like we we try to fight that. We do such a we good do. job of fighting that so many so you know in so many different ways, and I just don't get it. You know? Yeah, it certainly requires some bravery to even recognize that those are the things we all want, and sometimes I think we're afraid to show up in that way. Yeah. So no, this has been great, and now 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 I can't let you go just yet because <laughs> okay. we always do. We always have you know we're we're having fun that night. Now we learn. Okay, we learn. We always. This is where we learn some personal stuff. Now we may have learned the most personal thing already. <laughs> the, the whole Michigan thing. So, but we're gonna we're gonna we're not gonna talk about that anymore. But what we are going to do is we're gonna do what's the coolest. And first things last. Now, what's the coolest is, and you, I'm, I'm very excited to hear your answer. So, what the, what's the coolest? What's the coolest place you've either played, coached, or watched a game? And it can be basketball, but it doesn't have to be basketball. But what's the coolest? I think the coolest place I played was uh, we took a trip to the Bahamas to have a, a basketball tournament. And again, that's that's part of that stuff we were talking about earlier, the, the team bonding and, you know, being able to travel and do something different and new. I'm, you know, originally from Texas. And so 
that was just, I think that was a really cool experience for our entire team to be able to, to have that opportunity to play over in the Bahamas. Was it on a beach, the court? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, right, it's kind of in the, in the mountains. It was humid, but the the, the uh, windows opened up and looked out to the beach. So that was pretty cool. See, no, that's a, that's a great one. That's a, <laughs> that's a great example of, you know, that's why I love asking, especially the, like the former players, the coaches too. The coaches always have you know, good answers. That's why I love asking that, you know, because, you know, there are so many cool. And then it's also, you know, I like to, um, to, to kind of gauge what, the level of coolness is, you know, and there's a different right. reasons, you know, like, like, like one of the coaches answered, you know, well, I got, I got, it was, I didn't play or anything, but I, I was at a camp. I helped with a camp, but it was in the gym where they filmed Hoosiers. And I was like, Oh, oh wow. Wow. there you go. That's a good one. You know? <laughs> so it's yeah. like, like it could be for any reason. That's what I mean. That's why I love doing that. But the Bahamas, that's a great one. We have never had the Bahamas before. Now, <laughs> The other thing we like to do, and it's the last thing we do on the podcast, podcast is called First Things Last. I will give you a list of firsts. It's the last thing we're going to do, but this is a list of firsts. So, the first question is, what was your first job? My first job, I was a server at Golden Corral. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I did that in high school. Was that in Texas? It was down in Texas. It was, uh, I think, the summer before my senior year and. Yeah, I was trying to make extra money, and the rolls were great. Uh, <laughs> that's what I remember most is those buttery rolls, but yeah. It was, it was they fun. are good. I got I'm, I'm right there with you. They are really good. So, hey, so did you use that money to buy your first car? What was your first car? My first car was uh, a, brought, or a hand-me-down from my grandmother. It was a lavender Ford Taurus that uh, she, she didn't need anymore, so I got to, to use it. Nice. How long did, did it last you as long as you needed it to last? It did, and, and then my, my send-off to college was a, a new car. So I, I um, transitioned out of the Lavender Taurus and into a you know white Mazda Tribute, kind of little Jeep thing, and I loved that car. Oh, good, 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 good. All right, Dale, do you remember you're the first CD? or I mean, I'll say cassette, but I know this doesn't apply. First <laughs> CD that you bought? <laughs> I think the first CD I bought was probably TLC. Really? <laughs> Around that time, yeah, <laughs> we we went saw TLC a couple years ago. They were here in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. yeah, they did a, and actually they did a show. It was like the, one of those '90s show. Yeah. They were here, yeah, they were here with the uh, Sugar Ray and some other some other people. Man, yeah, we we that's see that's a good one. <laughs> the TLC is a good one. So wait, so what was your first concert then? Do you remember? I do. I was. Um, I think it was. It was in San Antonio, Texas, and I think it was one of those like kind of summer jams, and you know, different artists came and. It was when Beyonce had just gone solo. She, uh, you know, was on this tour, but then all of Destiny's Child surprised us at the end of the, the concert. So that was that was awesome because Destiny's Child is my favorite. See, I like that's like that's the way it should always be when an, when somebody goes solo like that. If somebody breaks yes. off from the group, like at, before the concert ends, they should bring the rest of the people out <laughs> and they should do a song just for old time's sake. That's yes. getting your money's worth. That's a see. That's another good one. I, I, that's a good one too. I love San Antonio. That's actually I mentioned my wife being in the army. That's where we were. We're we uh, for officer basic course. She went to Fort Sam Houston. And yeah, so, yeah. That's so, where my dad retired. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we were at Fort Sam, but only, you know, we were only there for like four months just for, for her uh, classes and that. We lived in a mm-hmm. hotel. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then, and then well, and then we went to Augusta, Georgia, and that's when I broke into the TV and radio. So it uh, it all worked out in the end. Okay, here we go. We're, we're, we're getting to the end of the list, but do you remember the first movie that you saw in a movie theater? Ooh. 
Um, I, I am going to have to say no. I'm, I'm not a big movie goer or TV watcher. So it doesn't, I, I can't remember what it would have been. Uh, my mom probably would remember, but I, <laughs> I, I can't remember. It's because you're a big podcast listener, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't, you are now, right? <laughs> All right. And here's, here's where we'll finish up. What is the first app that you check every morning when, when you get up? So weather comes to mind first, but uh, I, it depends. You know, when we're busier and I'm, you know, a little bit more stressed and trying to take care of my, my self-care routine a little bit better, I, I tend to not get on social media. But, but right now in the summer, I, I've been checking Instagram in the mornings. Nice. Nice. Well, and say, you know, it, it, it's good to hear you say that because, like, you know, again, it's, it is. It's all about our self-care, right? You know, and if we're taking care of ourselves, then we're probably going to be taking care of others, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so this has been so enlightening. You know, when when I found you, uh, thank you, Internet, you know, when I was able to, to, to find you, I just thought you would be perfect for this. Because like I said, you know, I, I, I love talking to former players who have now, you know, evolved into an expert in the field. And you really I mean, you you brought the A game today and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And we got to do it before you go. O-H. I-O. There you go. Don't let you. We won't tell your dad you said that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, if you know a great coach who's out there doing great things, winning games, building a great team culture at the same time, we want to hear about it. We may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1, on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, folks, build up your players' strengths, find them all a roll, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.